the one reading verses 9 to 14. He, being God, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Well, I, uh, I wanted to mention real quick, too, that for those of you that, uh, as the days progress here, that you may feel less and less inclined to, to come to church. And so I want to mention that if, if that is your situation, that we, you can certainly find uh, our sermons online on our website, uh, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, there's a few different modes that, that you can track with us um, Tina was telling me this week that we had someone from Spain listening to our messages, and uh, so we've got, we've got church all around the world, so that's, that's kind of fun. But we are we're going to continue our exploration through the book of Ephesians, and last week we explored Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, and, and considered the adoption plan that God established before creation. This morning, though, I'd like to start our time with a seemingly simple Simple question to start our conversation of how the Holy Spirit fits within that redemption plan that God has established. Now here's the question. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is at work in you? How do you know if the Holy Spirit is at work in you? Now part of this question is making an assumption that all of us know who or what the Holy Spirit is. Another assumption is that we are making another assumption we are making is that we are discerning enough to identify the difference between the Holy Spirit and my thoughts and my opinions. Another assumption that we are making is that the Holy Spirit is actually at work inside of us. So there are some assumptions that are that, that we are making when I ask this question, how do you know if the Holy Spirit is at work in you? This morning, though, I want us to, to, consider, the, 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 to consider three measurements to this question. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is at work inside of us? One of these is whether we are becoming more like Jesus in our character. Two, whether we are being used for his purposes. And three, whether there is clarity in our thoughts as we discern God's plan for our lives. 
the Ephesian church in many ways was just discovering the answers to some of these questions as it relates to their basic understanding of Christianity. One of these questions as they worked through it was the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, part of the reality for the people of Ephesus was that they were steeped in pagan idolatry where the concept of most religion and pagan worship was rooted in appeasing the requirements to satisfy the Lord in attempting to God. Pagan worship in Ephesus was rooted in attempting to appease the goddess Artemis. Now generally, in most, in most Greek mythology, Artemis was considered a secondary god. She was someone who was worshipped as the goddess of hunting and childbirth. However, in Ephesus, in the surrounding area, as I mentioned last week, Ephesus uh, in the, it is, is in modern-day Turkey. But in, the, in that area, Artemis was actually worshipped as the goddess of fertility. And, and, as, and as a result, they had established this enormous temple to worship her. She was, began, she was actually worshipped as a primary goddess within, uh, within Ephesus, an area. The temple then was, was then used because of her, because of her, the worship was, was related around fertility. The temple was used for prostitution and, and, and everything that was associated with that form of worship. Because Artemis was associated with fertility, she was synonymous with life. Now, this is important for us to understand here because imagine for a moment, imagine you had grown up in a religious system like that where the religious instruction that you lived within was to appease this God. But that the only real evidence as to whether you had Artemis' favor was if you had children. Now conceptually, this is actually a pretty standard example of most, most religions and cults. If you do something good, God will reward you. If you do something bad, God will punish you. Oh, you can't have kids? Guess you aren't doing something to please Artemis. Oh, your crops aren't growing. Guess you have some sort of sin that has displeased Artemis. And now you're being punished. What this sort of, this sort of thinking creates is this spiritual bondage amongst the people because they get caught in this cycle of performance-based worship. Now, one of the problems with performance-based worship is that the results, the results aren't universal or, or consistent. Bad things happen to faithful followers. Good things happen to the most outspoken skeptics. Paul here is beginning to reframe the origins and character of God from what they understood from their, from, from their history to this new concept of how to relate to God rooted in relationship rather than in religion and performance. Paul introduces this idea of God's spirit in chapter 1. He goes, he'll, go, he'll continue on in, in more chapters to begin to expand on how, how the, the, the spirit changes us and shapes us to be more like Jesus. Now, in another letter Paul writes in Galatians, he actually describes some of the evidence that we see from the spirit calls it the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, to 23, it says, For the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. 
that the Holy Spirit actually begins to direct our lives as we submit ourselves to God. And as we do that, we begin to align ourselves with the priorities and character of God. And as we do that, we allow ourselves to be shaped by the Holy Spirit in our lives. That our character actually begins to reflect the Jesus we read about in the four Gospels. And what Paul is communicating to to the Ephesians here is that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and relational. What that actually means then is that how we experience the Holy Spirit may look different for you than it does for me. That it may look different for me than it is for the person beside you. For example, you don't relate to my wife and kids the same way that I do. Our temperaments are different. Our relationships have nuances that make each of those relationships special and unique. The same is true for us with the Holy Spirit as we become more like Jesus. I know for myself that some of the areas that I need to continue to grow at and be intentional in are the areas of self-control and patience. But I also know that for some of us, maybe we need to work on our kindness or our joy. That doesn't necessarily mean that that one specific area makes us more spiritually superior than another. Instead, it means that we are all self-aware enough that we are a work in progress being transformed to be more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps shape us to reflect the character of Christ in our lives and respond like Him in our circumstances. In the Gospel of John, Luke chapter, let me try that again. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. Within John 14, Jesus tells us that he is leaving but that the Holy Spirit will be available to anyone who has been adopted into God's family forever. Paul also tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 13 that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a pledge of our inheritance. Now the word pledge that we see here, we didn't read it in the NIV, but in in the more accurate translation, it says that the word word is actually pledge. So the word pledge is is only used three times, but it's referencing the same concept that God has given us a pledge of the Holy Spirit. The pledge is is a monetary term. It's this idea of a down payment of the Spirit. If you ever had to give a down payment for a car or for a house, you know that a down payment is this initial payment towards something larger, towards an end goal, that you are communicating that the rest will be coming. This idea of a pledge that Paul points us towards tells us that there is a day that the fullness of God will be revealed. The pledge communicates that God is committed to a fullness that we have not yet experienced yet, but that the Holy Spirit gives us a glimpse into what is to come. As I've mentioned many times before, between my wife and I, we have eight parents and over the last couple of years, some of our conversation as they've gotten older has begun, has begun to, to revolve around what happens to all of possessions that are important to them. Possessions that reflect priorities in their lives. And, and now they are asking the question to us, 
whether these possessions that they value, do we value them as well? Some of them we say, absolutely not. And then other things we say, yeah, definitely. But as we've had these very honest conversations, the, the, the difficult part of the conversation is that underlying this inheritance question is a very real acknowledgement that eventually each of our eight parents will die. Inheritance for most people becomes simultaneously symbolic as well as practical. It becomes a symbol of what our parents loved, what was important in their lives, and the love that they passed on to us. It also becomes practical because often what we receive is intended to have some sort of use or benefit. Pictures, artwork, serve as reminders of positive memories. Money and possessions serve as helpful assistance for families. At our house right now, we have, Natalie's grandpa had two or three pictures that he painted, and we have them hanging on our house. And those act as reminders of memories that, that Natalie has for her grandpa. Just like when my parents die, they are physically leaving me. The same applies here in Ephesus. Jesus has left them. The relationship is seemingly over. But Paul tells us here in Ephesians that Jesus has left an inheritance. So what is that inheritance? You know, is it a nice tidy check? Some property? Maybe some stocks? Well, in a word, it's continued relationship. The inheritance that is given to us is relationship. That what we begin to see is that even, Joe, even though Jesus is not present physically, that he is still there very, very, he's still very present in that moment. As I shared earlier, the Ephesians were just beginning to learn how to interact with God. They've been so used to performance-based worship that this idea of a relationship with God rooted in grace and love would have been so foreign and different to them. And the Holy Spirit would act as this, as this guide. We read as a passage, as I read from John, this helper helps them to discover how they could relate to God on a more personal way and discover Jesus along the way. It helps us to discern God's will in our lives. Now earlier this week, I had the opportunity to, to go up to Edmonton for a, um, for a meeting as related to just trying to plan out some future things for Camp Caroline. Camp Caroline is a camp that is a part of the Alberta Baptist Association and and so we've, I was part of this conversation that as we, as we began to listen to, to the Spirit and listen to God and, and ask the question, God, where are you leading the next season of ministry for camp? The, we, sat, we, we provided some space during this day just to hear from God. And, and so as I set aside this space, this time to just hear, my, the start of my prayer was this. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take whatever my agenda is and I'm going to release it. And I'm going to sit here open-handedly with what you want to do. And, and I'm, going to have, I'm going to remain in this posture of, of openness to what your spirit wants to say and where your spirit wants to leave Camp Caroline. And, and, I, and admittedly, I certainly have my thoughts on direction, but I put those aside. And, and as I began to listen, 
there was one thing that popped out really clear, really clearly, and okay, I'm just going to put that aside. But I felt like, you know when you're driving in, 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 a foggy, in foggy weather, and you can kind of see the, the, the headlights in the, in the distance, but, and so you know there's a car out there, but you don't know where it is or how big it is or what it is, but you know there's something there. And, and I felt like that's what was, what was going on inside of me. I was like, God, I know that there's something out there. There's a fog. So God, I just, you know, I'm just going to just listen. Help me to, to hear your voice in this. So as I as just began to hear, this, this fog was beginning to thin. And, and, the, and it's like the car was getting closer. And then suddenly in this, this moment of, of clarity happened where the fog was lifted. And, and it became very, okay, this is, this is the thing that, that, that God wanted to reveal to me. That I didn't know what it was, but this is what it is. Because I, it's certainly not my idea. Now, in that particular moment, it seemed certainly really exciting for me. But the real test, of course, is whether or not anyone else from the group had had the same message and clarity. Because there's been times in my life where I felt like, yeah, I've heard from God, and then I've shared it with other people, and they're like, no, I didn't hear that. And it wasn't affirmed by anyone else in that moment. Usually in those moments, then I realized that, that's, that I need to keep listening. A good rule of thumb here is that if you feel like the Spirit has given you clarity of something, go through a good discernment process. Ask people who are listening to the Holy Spirit as well, who can ask if they could affirm what you have heard. And if there isn't consensus, then just keep listening. Just keep trying to listen together in community. But in this particular case for myself, as, as I returned to the group after our prayer time and and I shared, this is what I think God has been saying to me. This is what I think the Holy Spirit revealed to me during this prayer time. What are you hearing? And so the next person shared. And they said, that actually is the same thing that I heard. And then another person shared. And they said, yeah, that's what I heard too. And we went around our group and, and we began to realize that, that each one of us were hearing the same thing. When we approach our listening with open hands and say, God, set aside my agenda and help me to hear your heart and your agenda for my life, we begin to set aside our agenda and God begins to use us for his purpose. Throughout scripture, we see that God's spirit is active and at work in our lives. Right at the very beginning in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, scripture says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the sur surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And the word spirit that we read here in verse 2 is, is this, in Hebrew, is this word ruach, which translated can either mean breath or wind or spirit. In New Testament, the Greek word is pneuma. But these, this this passage in Genesis, though, tells us that the Holy Spirit wasn't an afterthought or, or something that came after Jesus in some sort of divine timeline, but that the Holy Spirit was present at the creation of the world and is eternal like the Father and the Son. This idea of, of, of Ruach, the breath of God, the, the wind of God, the Spirit of God, is this idea of God blowing His life into something. I remember when when my oldest daughter Abigail was born. And 
She'll be 14 in a few months here. And, and I still remember this moment vividly where the moment that she came into this world, it seemed like time stood still. Because as a parent, you're, all you're waiting for in that moment is to hear the, the scream, the cry. Because you know that as soon as you hear the cry, then, then everything's okay. And it just, it just seemed like time had stood still. And then suddenly, as the nurses were caring for her, there was this gasp and then the, and then the scream. Yes! That's what, that's what you hope to hear. That's the idea of this, of the Ruach of God, where he, he breathes life into us. Where the Spirit of God existed and was at work in the creation process, breathing life into creation. What this means, though, is that the Holy Spirit was present as God established his redemption plan for you and I that Paul lays out in the previous eight verses. Here's why this is important, too. As we see the Holy Spirit included in the redemption plan in Ephesians 1, what we begin to see is this consistency from God that God has not deviated from his plan. And that the Holy Spirit is just as active and present and engaged in the beginning as he is today. That as we are adopted into God's family, he is regularly breathing his breath into us as his adopted children. As we begin to discover a new relationship with God, God breathes his pneuma, his ruach, into us. Shaping our character, shaping our thoughts, shaping our actions to be more like the one who gave us that breath. That the Holy Spirit helps us to live out our faith and, and reflect his glory and deepen our relationship with Jesus. But not only that, that as followers of Jesus adopted into his family, that means that God has given us abilities that are beyond our own capacity. This week, in the midst of all the panic and hysteria that has gripped our planet, I was struck by this question. If you had unlimited access to one thing, what would it be? Toilet paper? Money? Food? Hand sanitizer? Whatever you chose, even though you would have unlimited access to it, it would still be limited. It would still be restrictive. None of these things can fully satisfy our needs. They are still limited in one way or another. The Holy Spirit, though, is both unlimited and unrestricted. It's the power and presence of God made accessible to you and I. The reality is, is that as we discover the fullness of what a relationship with Jesus is like, a number of things happen that give us evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in us. But one of these pieces of evidence is in the area of giftedness. God has given each of us skills and abilities that we describe as spiritual gifts. Now, as a, as a caveat here, I would like to say that, that there are some Christian circles that would argue that unless you have specific charismatic gifts, like speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, then you haven't really been sealed by the Holy Spirit. But I don't think that there's, I don't see enough scriptural evidence to support, to draw that conclusion. 
I'm not saying that those gifts aren't important. I'm not saying those gifts don't exist. I think there's absolutely people that, that there are people who have those gifts and they, and they need to continue to practice them. Regardless of what church you attend, God gives us gifts according to the way that he administers them. That doesn't make certain gifts, some sort, certain strengths more important, more spiritual than others. It means that God has given to you what he's needed to for specific purposes. In the same way that God has given some people the gift of hospitality or teaching, wisdom, leadership. These gifts become expressions of the power and presence of God inside of us as we use them to reveal God's kingdom to those around us. As Paul continues to introduce the role of the Holy Spirit in chapter 1, he describes the inheritance that we have received from God as a seal of the Spirit. Now as Paul continues to introduce the role of the Holy Spirit in chapter 1, he describes the inheritance that, that this is that, that he begins to describe it as a, as a way that for us to, um, to experience the Spirit in, in a fresh new way. As Paul continues, though, let me just backtrack a little bit here. Often when letters were written in the first century, they would have been written on parchment, and the person would have rolled them up. And a dollop of wax would have been placed on the seal, just right here, just to seal it. And the contents wouldn't, be, have, been, wouldn't have been readable, but they would have been sealed. And often what would happen is the person writing it would have a signet ring. A signet ring was just, a, was just had a marking or, or a symbol that they would use to, to press onto the, onto the soft wax. This was, we see this, this, this signet ring comparison used throughout Scripture, like Jeremiah, we see it in Daniel, we see it in Haggai, where a king would seal a letter with this signet ring, with this symbol, and the symbol represented that the contents inside belonged to them. The seal becomes a way to identify that we belong to Christ. That means that the Holy Spirit becomes a way to identify that we belong to Christ. So often I have conversations with with people who tell me, I'm not sure I have the Holy Spirit in me. How do I make sure? I don't feel like the Holy Spirit is present with me. Well, that's the first problem. So the Holy Spirit isn't always a feeling. Sometimes it is, but not always. But we, we can be assured of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives because I believe that this word that we read from Paul is truth. That if we believe what Paul has said here is truth, then it doesn't change whether we feel it or not. The Holy Spirit has secured our belonging to God. As I said earlier, the inheritance that is waiting for us is a richer, deeper, more intimate relationship with God. And like the Ephesians, we are just scratching the surface of the depth of of that relationship with God. If we think about the the, the reality of, of, of eternity, we are just scratching the surface of that. So here are three ways that we can deepen the intimacy between us and God, this side of heaven. One, rest. I don't mean like being confinement. When we can build into our schedules intentional times of being still, we create enough margin in our busyness to block out the distractions to hear from Jesus. 
Maybe that means turning off the TV, turning off the Facebook, disconnecting from our phone for a bit, maybe practicing Sabbath a little bit more intentionally. Rest. Relationship. Can I invite you to ask two questions to someone this week? Here's the two questions. First one, what has God been speaking to you about this week? What has God been speaking to you about this week? And second question, what would you say God has gifted me in? What would you say are the areas that God has gifted me in? I think if we were able, if we initiate those two conversations, it opens up the door for a relational God to build relationships around us. It strengthens and, uh, and builds up community. So relationship. Thirdly is reflect Jesus. We were given the Spirit to discover Christ in our lives. But it wasn't meant to be purely insular. We are called to give it away as well. We are called to give away our love. When we can love others, we can reflect Jesus. So here's a couple ways we can do that. One, model peace. This week we have seen the outworking of what fear can do in people's lives. But as people who have the Spirit of God in us, as I said earlier, we know that Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7 that we don't have a spirit of fear, but we have a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Model peace. Two, model love. Admittedly, it's really easy to get annoyed and roll our eyes at the hysteria in our world right now. What that tells me, though, is that there is a world of people whose hope isn't in Jesus. This is an opportunity to love people in really practical ways by showing compassion and empathy on others rather than irritation or disbelief. I should also add that if you're in a space where you feel like you need to, to withdraw, let us know so that we can care for you as a church. So that we can love, that, love you as well. We can model that love to others. And then lastly, model discipline. In those moments where we may get caught up in fear of this world, in those moments where things seem uncertain, pray. We serve a God whose plan existed before the world did. He knows what is happening now. And when we pray honestly, we submit ourselves to Him, and God promises that His Spirit gives us peace, and when we, and when we model peace, we reflect Jesus. Let's go back to that original question that I asked at the beginning. How do you know if the Spirit, Holy Spirit is at work in you? Are you becoming more like Jesus in your character? Are you being used for his purposes? Is there clarity in your thoughts as you discern God's will for your life? If you're not sure, practice rest. Practice relationships. Reflect Jesus by modeling peace and love and discipline. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are for the ways that you continue to shape us, the ways you continue to move in our lives. God, we are grateful for opportunities you give us to be able to reflect on your word. Would you uh, 
would you continue to, to un, unfold your Holy Spirit in our lives? Would you continue to unleash your Spirit in, in our church? That we would be able to, to model to others you and your character, God. Pray this in your name. Amen.